Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today we're beginning a new series called Whatever. This is a new message series. If you're new to our church, maybe even our style of church, uh, we tend to teach in series, which means at the beginning of the year, me and a few others on our leadership team really pray about, God, what do you want to say to our church this year? And there's sort of that idea again, okay, God, like trying to hear what does our church need to hear? What do we as a body need to hear? And we just sort of step in faith that these are the things. And so from that comes themes that we write down and then series that over the course of the year hopefully flesh that out. And so we come up with this series called Whatever, which is our February series. It's a three-week series. And it's based on this ever-present word in our society, right, whatever. And this picture, I think, is perfect of it uh, because whatever has several different meanings. But the most common one that we think of these days is one of indifference, like whatever, man. Like, I don't even care, right? That's what whatever often most means in our modern time. And even the word whatevs, like, has kind of come out of that. This is a modern, a modern take on the word whatever. And uh, I would like to uh, explore a very definitive definition from the ever-popular Urban Dictionary, uh, which I'm sure everyone knows is very scholarly. Um, Yeah, that's a joke in case anybody doesn't know. Uh, This is what this word says. Whatever is used in an argument to admit that you were wrong without admitting it so the argument ends. In other words, like, we may not agree with each other, but whatever. Like, fine, whatever, dude. Like, this happens all the time in my marriage or maybe in other relationships with people to where when I don't agree with you and you don't agree with me and it's clear that we're not going to get anywhere, but I want this conversation to stop, so go, okay, whatever. All right, that's, that's the most common sort of way that the word whatever means. But here's a little bit more. Merriam-Webster says, and this is more probably a more definitive version of what the word means, says this. There's three different kinds of uh, definitions. Number one is that whatever means anything, anything or everything. So used in a sentence, it would be take whatever you want. In other words, there's a pile of things. Take whatever, all of the things of anything you want over there. So that's anything or everything that. The second one is no matter what. So in this case, it's whatever you do, do this. Okay, so for example, whatever he says, don't believe him. That's another word of whatever. So it's no matter what, this thing, then that. Okay, so whatever follows is important. But the third is what we kind of use it as, which is whatnot. That's as an astonishment, perplexity, or maybe even indifference, which is whatever. Like just, okay, forget it, whatever. It doesn't matter. Did you know that there were 172 verses in the Bible that use the word whatever? 172 verses have the word whatever contained in it, and that is a lot. And most of them refer in this first person or the first definition of whatever. So things like we'd see in Scripture, whatever you find in that city, take it. Or whatever you decide to name that, that's what it'll be. That's the one that's most common throughout Scripture is that everything, anything. Whatever you're going to name this, that's fine. Whatever you see, take it, The kind of everything or all. But there are several passages where the second definition of whatever, which is the no matter what, the this thing is very important, and listen to what I'm going to tell you afterwards is used. And whatever follows is instruction that is incredibly important for us to learn and to put into practice. And it's those passages that we're going to explore in our series over the next three weeks. And you might be asking yourself, why? Why are we talking about this word whatever? Well, it's because the Bible is full of instruction. 
And oftentimes that instruction can feel overwhelming because we don't really know how to process everything all the time. Sometimes you'll read a passage of scripture and it seems like there's 400 things that we're supposed to digest and put into practice. And so every once in a while, thankfully, graciously, the authors of the different passages summarize what they're trying to say in one of these whatever statements. And so there are three important moments that we want to look into that we're going to talk about today. And so before we do, though, I want, to, I want to look at a clip of a movie that I thought was funny, but it kind of illustrates this point. There's this great scene in the movie Ocean's Eleven where Brad Pitt's character, Rusty, is trying to explain the art of conversation to Matt Damon's character, Linus, about the art of conversation. He's delivering all of this information to him. He's getting inundated with what it means to be a con artist, and he's getting lost, and I think Rusty sees that he is... Uh, feeling that way, and so he stops, and he's about to give him a summary statement, and then something happens. So let's take a look and see if uh, see what it looks like. No good. Don't touch your tie. Look at me. Okay, I ask you a question. You have to think of the answer. Where do you look? Just listen. No good. You look down, they know you're lying. And up, they know you don't know the truth. Don't use seven words when four will do. Don't shift your weight. Look always at your mark, but don't stare. Be specific, but not memorable. Be funny, but don't make him laugh. He's got to like you and then forget you the moment you've left his sight. And for God's sake, whatever you do, don't under any circumstance. Russ. Yeah. Can you take a look at this? Sure. Don't do what? Like, that's this moment, right? So I think you can illustrate right there, you see the importance of the word. He's giving them all this information, and then it's like, okay, I'm about to tell you something very important. Pay attention, and his ears are perking up. This is the thing I need to remember. And then he gets caught away. And so without these whatever moments in Scripture, I believe that we would be lost, just like, just like Linus in this moment of, I'm trying to pull as much as I can from your word, God. I want to learn, but I'm having trouble figuring this all out. Can you throw me a bone? And so there are moments that give us these moments for us. We want to know what's most important in following Jesus, right? We want to know, how do I know if I'm on the right track? And so thankfully, graciously, Scripture gives us these three whatevers that we're going to dive into. And here's what I think that they are. Number one is whatever you think. Number two is whatever you say. And number three is whatever you do. There are three passages of Scripture that we're going to dive into over the next three weeks. These are the three main elements of our series. And we're going to start today with whatever you think. Whatever you think. And we're going to start with our big idea today. Scripture teaches something very important about our thoughts. And if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our big idea today. It is that you are whatever you think. The Bible teaches that, that you are whatever you think. What do I mean by that? It means that the Bible draws a very clear, a very clear connection between our minds and our hearts, and ultimately that leads to our actions. That's what the Bible teaches, that the things that we think affect our heart, how we think affects the state of our heart, and those things working together ultimately come out in what our actions produce, right? So we see the importance of, of our minds, but don't just take my word for it. Let's look and see what the Bible actually says. In Proverbs chapter 23, if you have a Bible, the Proverbs is in the Old Testament is a, a collection of sayings from Solomon, who was known to be the wisest king ever. And he wrote a collection of wise sayings that are essentially saying that, the, that the, all of wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord, knowing who God is. So in Proverbs chapter 23, and by the way, we have free Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, 
This is the beginning of everything for us. So I encourage you to grab one of these. They're free here in the front as well as at our Connection Center. Please grab a Bible. Don't leave here without one if you don't have one. Proverbs 23, verses 6 through 8 talks about the importance of our minds. It says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. In other words, don't be deceived by his words because what he thinks about you is different than what he says. He is a miser even if he says to you, oh, yeah, have my bread. But then as soon as you eat his bread, he's angry at you, right? He's selfish. The Bible is making it clear that there are thoughts have so much to do with who we are. And then he says in verse 8, the morsel that you have eaten, you will vomit it up and you will have wasted your pleasant words. In other words, the things that you, oh, thank you so much. It was so nice of you to offer your bread to me, like that kind of an idea. And then you realize who this person truly is and you've wasted yourself and your time and your efforts and your moments because he was lying to you because his thoughts are more important than what he said. Okay, that's what it's in there. But then Jesus kind of echoes the same thought in Matthew chapter 15. This is in the New Testament now, the gospel according to Matthew, which is is one of Jesus' friends who wrote this about Jesus' life. In the 15th chapter, verse 19, he says, For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false testimonies, slander. And then he kind of summarizes and says that these are the things that defile a person. I'm sorry, Jesus, are you telling me that, like, that, I've already, that I'm already defiled before I even do the things that are on this list? Yes, Jesus seems to be indicating that our thoughts the things that we think in our private space, in our heart, in our mind, that that is actually the place that we are derived from, that the actions are literally just the symptoms of what's really going on underneath. And we see that all throughout Jesus' teachings. In fact, when he's talking about murder, he's talking about anger, he's talking about lust, he's talking about all of these different topics, we always see that Jesus gets to the root, which is always about the heart and the way that we think long before the actions are. You are whatever you think murder was a thought long before it was ever an action. Theft was a thought long before it ever became an action. So what Jesus is saying is that our thoughts are the place where our actions live. They start there, and when, by the time you see them, they've already been on their journey long before that moment. He's saying that our thoughts are very important. Now, we know that our thoughts can be a very ugly place. When we are left alone, I think if most of us, there are probably occasionally a few of us maybe in the room who don't feel this way, who maybe, who maybe have just wonderful dispositions about life. They're always positive. They're always upbeat. They don't feel like they've got a care in the world. And if that's you, that's awesome. But most people in the world, including myself, our thoughts can oftentimes be a frightening, dark place. Oftentimes our personal thoughts can, can feel ugly, things like doubt, Things like fear, uncertainty, things like anger, even hatred that we aren't even aware is there or sometimes we don't, we don't verbalize it. Racist thoughts, discriminatory thoughts, prejudiced thoughts, sexist thoughts. It could be thoughts about where people live, thoughts about what people do. It could be frustrations with our husbands or our wives or our boyfriends or our girlfriends. It could be insecurities. It's identity issues. All of these types of things all flow inside of our brains and people don't even know about it. I mean, I think you can nod your head if you're like, yeah, pastor, that's good. Like, that's true. Like, this is what it is for so many of us. Gossip, slander, greed, materialism, lust, insecurity, hatred, anger, fear, doubt. The list goes on and on. And there are obviously good things in our thoughts too, right? We do think about positive things, but many of us, our thoughts are dominated by these things. When our mind just goes to these places, 
by default, oftentimes, when we have time to breathe and we time to stop and think about what's going on, oftentimes our mind lives in these spaces. And what Jesus is saying here is that our thoughts can derail us. They can derail our actions. And what do I mean by that? Unfounded actions, our unfounded thoughts lead to unfounded actions. We oftentimes look at a problem and we automatically think that we are going to do whatever this action is to solve that problem. But if we are seeing the problem from the wrong angle, right? If we, if we think unwisely about a topic, then most likely our actions are going to be unwise as well. The, the things that we think, if I operate in my relationship out of fear or out of doubt with my wife or with my, with my friends, if I'm always thinking insecurely about myself, then the way that I talk to them will always come from a place of fear and doubt or insecurity, You understand? If I'm always thinking from a perspective of materialism or of greed, then I begin to see people as commodities and as objects to be able to get things from them. Our thoughts derail our actions. That's what Jesus is saying here. But fortunately, there is hope. There is a prescription for this. There is something that we can do about it. There are two passages of Scripture in Romans, Romans and 2 Corinthians, that talk about our thoughts Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. This idea of renewing your mind indicates that there is some control that we have over our thoughts. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4b and 5, This is Paul, the Apostle Paul talking. He's writing a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we do what? We take every thought captive and make it to obey Christ. Okay. You are whatever you think. Okay? That's what the Bible makes clear. You are whatever you think. However... It also says that you have control over what you think. You are whatever you think, but Scripture teaches us that you have control over what you think. It says to renew your mind, and it says to take every thought captive. Those are action terms. Those are ways for us to be able to to take control. If your mind is filled with doubt, if your mind is filled with fear, if your mind is filled with insecurity and and whatever these things are, as we learn from from God, from his word, about who we are and what he thinks about us, he tells us that we should not be conformed to our world. We should not think the same way that other people do about, other, about, about ourselves and about how, how people see us and how we should see the other, other people in our world. He says, renew your mind. Change your mind. Change the way you think. And then it says, make every thought captive. Take it a captive. Like In other words, hold it prisoner. Do not allow it to control you. Don't let your thoughts control you. Instead, control your thoughts. Well, then it begs the question, well, then what should we think about? If I shouldn't be thinking about fear, if I shouldn't be controlled by doubt or insecurity and all these types of things, what should I be focusing on? What should I be thinking about? What is the standard for my thought life? Well, get ready for all of the whatevers that are about to come in your face right now, okay? So turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 8. This is Paul, again, writing, but this time he's writing to the Philippians, which is a, a city of Philippi. And it says this, finally, brothers and sisters, here we go, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Whatever you do, he's saying, think about these things. He's saying, dwell on these things. Let these things dominate your mind instead of always thinking about dread, instead of always thinking about fear, instead of living in uncertainty. And these are real. This is no way condemning. But we're taught you can't live in those spaces. Instead, dwell on these things and watch how things change for you. Dwell on these things, whatever. I was looking up the word whatever. Whatever, in this case, is that first definition, which means all of it. Choose from, select from, all of it. And I was thinking about like a feast, like a buffet. Like, I'm just going to find everything that's good out there. I'm going to find everything that's true. I'm going to find everything that's pure. And I'm going to look at it. I'm going to eat on it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take all of it constantly and make that my mindset. I'm going to think about this stuff. Dwell in that space all the time. I'm going to allow those thoughts to renew my mind. I'm going to allow pure things to renew my mind. I'm going to allow honorable things to renew my mind. I'm going to take every thought captive and I'm going to replace those thoughts with these things. And so what does it look like? I wrote down, I just thought, hey, you know what, if we want to fight our negative fears, which is hard, how do we get practical about this, Pastor Jared? And I'm with you. I struggle with this myself. But here we go. Number one, how do, we, how do we fight these things? Number one, fight lies with truth, the truth of Scripture. So we looked up there at the top. It said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Fight lies with truth. If you feel insecure, what does the Bible say about you? It doesn't say that you are an insecure individual. It says that you're more than a conqueror. It says that you're a child of God. It says that it tells you about who you are and what you can do. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't sound like a weakling. That doesn't sound like someone who doesn't deserve goodness. You understand what I'm saying? But we think these things because we walk around in a world that is constantly telling us to think about these things. So we fight lies with truth. The next one was whatever is honorable. We fight slander with honor. You fight slander with honor. You fight gossip with honor. Instead of looking around at what people have done wrong, instead of insulting people, instead of thinking insulting thoughts about your, your brother, your sister, about your coworker, your boss, our president, instead of thinking about slanderous thoughts, instead look for honorable things. Look for the things that we can push people up with, put them on pedestals, and fight against the slander because what happens with it is when we begin to slander other people, we begin to think, do people think about me like that? I just said this nasty thing about that person. I wonder if people think that about me. I've thought that all my, all my life. When I have fallen into a trap of, of, of criticizing someone, and I'm not just talking like constructively. I'm saying like in a sense of like gossip, you know, or like, man, it's so frustrating. That person drives me crazy. They do this, this, this. And then I begin to think to myself, I wonder if people feel that way about me. But when I start to honor people, I say, you know what? I love that that person is always serving. I love that that person is kind. You know what? I want to give you honor because you are, you are, you are strong. I lift, I want to exhort that. I want to encourage you, you know? You fight slander with honor. And then it says whatever is honorable. So fight, I'm sorry, what is it? True, honorable, whatever is just. Fight compromise with integrity. 
Scripture teaches that. It even says that it's the breastplate of righteousness in Ephesians. It talks about that. It protects the armor that protects the main core part of your body. It talks about righteousness as the thing that does that. That's integrity. You cannot be brought down and slandered against if you live a righteous life. So you fight compromise in your mind and in your actions with integrity. Don't allow yourself to be compromised. Don't allow your thoughts. If you see compromise in your brain, in your mind, in your thought patterns, call it out and say, that's not right. I'm called to integrity. It might be hard. I have to make, make it right with my spouse, make it right with my, with my son or my daughter. Or I did something wrong at work. Instead of trying to hide it, putting it under the rug, instead you call it out, you sweep it out, and you clean it up, and you become a man or a woman of integrity, and you cannot be brought down. You might be attacked, but you will not be able to be brought down because you have integrity. So you fight compromise with integrity. He goes on. He says, whatever is pure. So now you fight corruption with purity. Corruption is anything that was good that has become compromised. It has become a a nasty, decayed version of itself. That might be your habits. It might be your thought life. It might be, it could be, for guys, for some of us, it's it's you start off thinking, I'm not going to even, I'm not even going to dwell on my eyes on a lady when she's walking around in the summertime with like the shorts or whatever. Like guys, you know, we're attracted to that most of the time. And so when when you're looking at those things, it's fine because it's my responsibility. But the problem is, is that I allow myself to look, and then I dwell into that place, it now becomes out of purity and down into... To become out of... All right. We're just going just gonna to put that over here. It moves away from being pure thoughts of whatever I'm thinking about to now my mind is beginning to decay into a place of compromise, into a place of corrupted thoughts where I'm now beginning to look at someone as more of an item, as an object, rather than a valued image, a valued human being, as a person who's made in the image of God. And that's just one example. It could be anything. It could be the movies that we watch. It could be the TV shows. It could be the books that we read. It could be the conversations that we have with people. If my thoughts are not dwelling in a place of goodness, but instead start to look into things of, oh, I can get something from this person, or I start to think about, like, if my, I start to feel grimy. It's kind of like if you haven't taken a shower in a few days. If your thoughts begin to feel like you need a shower spiritually in that metaphor, then you have probably gone from a place of purity down to a place of corrupted aspects of that. We fight those, those corruption ideas with purity. And what I mean is just, and I can't tell you what that is for you. You have to be, you have to just, just have to look in scripture. You have to spend time with God and you have to find those lines for you to where you feel like this is not appropriate or is for me. We have to fight that kind of corruption in our spirit, in our minds, with purity. If you struggle in an area of something that is causing you to, and and the indicator is, is that those corrupted things lead us away from God. They lead us away from a relationship with him. Corruption and and, and decay and, and those kinds of things always take us further and create space between us and God. On the other hand, purity, integrity will always bring us closer to him. So whatever that is for you, you fight it by removing those things and putting pure things in their place. And then it says fight unpleasantness with grace. There's a lot of unpleasantness in our, fam- in our lives, in our world. You fight unpleasantness with grace. You know what? I can't do anything about the situation, but I love you anyway. 
I'm going to extend grace to you. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to think graciously instead of always assuming the worst about someone. Instead of thinking about the things that are hard, that are difficult, of always thinking cynically, instead looking at what is graceful and giving grace to those circumstances in our minds. We fight We fight unpleasantness with grace. And finally, we fight failure with praise. He finishes by saying whatever is commendable. Commendable means that something that is praiseworthy. Oftentimes, we feel as though we are guilty, that we beat ourselves up about our failures, about the things that we don't feel like we have done well. And I understand that feeling. I deal with it all the time. I am a naturally pessimistic person. I'm a naturally insecure individual. And when I mess up, I take it very personally. It's very hard for me to move past those things. But scripture is teaching to not think about your failures and instead of thinking what is worthy and being commendable. Think about the things that are good for you. You can give praise to yourself. It's okay for you to say, man, I love that I'm good at writing music. I love that I'm, that I, you know what, Jared? Good job, man. You're a pretty good preacher. Like, good job, Jared. Like, you're, you're just a fun dude. Like, people like hanging around you. Like, whatever it might be. But you know what else helps is giving praise to God. God, you have made me. It says you are fearfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, so when you insult yourself, you're insulting God's creation. When my kids look at me and they say, my son, this broke my heart. Years ago, when he was like two years old, we had just moved to Pittsburgh and we had this little open um, cabinet uh, that it's like a standalone kind of cabinet you put in the kitchen and he was climbing on it and it fell and it hit his face and he has a scar right below his eye. And he had this horrible black eye on his, on his face. And he looked in the mirror one day, and he looked at his mom, and he said, Mom, I'm ugly. And he was so sad. And the feeling that came up in my heart and in my wife's heart was one of, don't you dare say that. You're my son, and I love you, and you're handsome, and you're smart, and you're awesome. And so every time we think about our failures, every time we think about all of these doubts and all of these fears and all these mistakes and all these things, and we think that's who we are, God looks at us and goes, don't you dare say that. I love you. I created you. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're awesome. You're funny. You do such cool things. Let me tell you all the things that I'm proud of you for. And that's how we fight these negative thoughts. That's how we fight this stuff. We fight lies with truth. We fight slander by honoring. We fight compromise with integrity. We fight corruption with purity. We fight unpleasantness with grace. And we fight failure with praise and lifting up things that are commendable and worthy of being praised. Our world needs more of that stuff. We have to act like that. And Jesus says, you are whatever you think. I want to be a person who thinks and lives and exhibits purity, healthiness, wholeness, goodness, because I think it's attractive. I think it's attractive. I think when I'm healthy, people want to be around the doctor. People want to be around a healthy person. They're sick of it, even if they don't know it. Even if they don't know there's an answer, they're not even aware that they're sick. When they see somebody act differently, they see someone who lives in a higher standard. They see someone who who lives with grace, who doesn't call them out when they constantly make failures or mistakes. When they see people like that, they want to live like that. I believe it to my core. And so, the word there, that dwell, I was like, what does that mean to dwell? The word is logisithi. I can't even say it properly. But it's the word that logic comes from. Think about this. It says to count, 
to consider, to plan, to reason about. I want you to think about that. I want, this is what Paul is saying. He said, dwell on these things logically in your mind. He said, to consider, count, plan, reason about everything that is truthful, everything that is honorable, all things with purity. Find pure things and lift them up. All things with integrity. Find grace and beauty wherever you can and own that. Seek what is praiseworthy. Search for what is praiseworthy. And then dwell, count, reason with, think about, command yourself to think about those things. And then you will feel better. We will see the world differently. We will be able to see what God is doing. And I love that. It says, renew your mind and then you will know what the will of God is for your life. It's hard for us. It seems to be painting this picture. We don't know what God wants. We don't know how to hear his voice. And this kind of goes back to what I said a few minutes ago before the message. We want to know all of these things, but we've got a lot of stuff in our head that are probably blocking it out, a lot of interference. And so when we position ourselves, tune that frequency, and some of that means getting out of the noise. It means getting rid of doubt, getting rid of fear, instead looking on what is lovely, what is good, putting the light, open the shades of your mind and put some light into your life. And then the word says, then you will be able to know what God's will is. We'll be able to see what he's doing in the world, how he is working and how we can join him. Just stand with me. We're going to pray together. I'm going to just pray and I would like for you, if you're interested, to just repeat after me and make this your own prayer today. If you want to know Jesus for the first time, you can, you can just say this prayer. You say that prayer from your heart and the Bible says that it just takes believing in him and what he offers to us. Bring us peace in our lives. If you want to know him, just repeat after me. For those of you who already know him, make this your prayer. We're just going to pray to him about about our thought life about what we want to think about. Jesus, I choose you today. I want to think about the right things. I don't want to be controlled by my thoughts. Renew my mind. Help me to take every thought captive. I choose to think about truth and honor. I choose to think about integrity and purity. I choose to think about grace. I choose to think about what is good. Help me to see what you're doing in this world. I choose you today. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.